Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. This, this title of this word today is called Revival of Love. And so the Lord started talking to me about love and about his love well over a year ago. And he said, you know, there are things about my love and depths to my love that you don't know about. And I want to reveal those to you. And so I started listening to him, and um, I just believe that he's wanting to restore love, that he, he, the gospel is a love story. It is a love story. It's his love story for, for us. And so um, if you guys, let's go ahead and check it out. We're going um, to look in the word. Um, I'm reading from the Passion Translation today, so it may be a little bit different, um, even though what Pastor Chad normally reads from. Um, but if you do have Passion Translation, it should read pretty good. So you guys ready to get excited? Yes? Okay, so we're going to open up to John 3.16. Woohoo! Yes, yes. All right. If you've never read the Passion Translation, I just encourage you to do so. Um, it's just very different, but it is, it is really wonderful, and it helps me receive a little bit better sometimes. So, all right, here we go. John 3.16 says, For here is the way God loved the world. He gave his only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. And verse 16 says, God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. So we've been, we, we actually learned just a few weeks ago about standing before the throne and the judgment, but that time is not yet. And so until that time, Jesus' hand is still extended to us to rescue us and to save us. That is his desire. He, he wants none to perish. That is the love that he has for us. And um, he started talking to me about his love. Like, that is why he does everything. It's, it's who he is. First um, John 4 says that he is love, that that's who he is. So that's why he does what he does. It's his motivation. It's why he rescues us. It's why he... Uh, restores us. It's why he heals and does miracles and gives hope and mercy is because of love. And I uh, started thinking about um, love. It can be generic sometimes. Like we can say we love. Like I love that color. I love pizza. I love this and I love that. But um, his love is very deep. It's very deep and it's strong. And he was telling me about it, and he said, my love is pure and clean and strong and passionate and fiery. It's not cheap, and it's not generic. It's not any of those things, and he wants us to know that, and I, and I think we've seen things maybe in the past couple years, too, that have been done in the name of love, but are not really love because they're not from him. And so I felt like um, he was wanting us to, to three things today to restore love, to restore his love, our first love to him, to restore the love that we have for each other as the body, and to restore 
our love for those, for others, for those who are maybe outside the body of Christ, okay? So um, as he's, he's talking to me about his bride, we are the bride, yes? When we are the body of Christ, we are the bride. That is who we are. We are the bride, we are the church. And so he started, um, he said, told me about a year ago, he said, I want you to start reading in um, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, and he said, but read it in the Passion Translation. And I'm like, okay, well, I've never done that. I had read it in different translations, and I had always heard it taught, um, referring to a husband and a wife, you know, um, here in the natural. But in the Passion Translation, it does a wonderful job uh, telling us about Jesus and his bride. So Jesus and us, the relationship that we have with him. And so um, it's a back and forth uh, conversation in this book. This is dialogue between the bride and Jesus. And he's, uh, he's telling her how much he loves her. And he's telling her who she is. And she, she says, I am dry. I am dark. I am, don't, you know, I am, I am no good. And he says, no, you're lovely. You are my beloved. I love you. You are strong like Pharaoh's horse. He's telling her who she is. He's calling her by who she really is, her true identity. And that's what Jesus does. He created us so he knows who we really are. And that's what he does. He speaks that into us. It's life. And so he tells her, even though you're surrounded by, by the sin, I see who you really are. And so he's calling her and he's drawing her and she says, oh, revive me, restore me, restore me. This is who I want to be. And um, so in chapter four, she says, okay, I want to be your bride. So she's saved, if you will, okay? She receives him. She receives salvation. And then um, it says uh, that after that, he starts to see himself in her. And he says, he sees telling her what he sees. And others are starting to be drawn to her. They're being drawn to her because he, they're seeing him in her, okay? And then she falls asleep. And the word says that she let her devotion to him slumber. Her devotion to her king, her husband, slumbered. It went to sleep. And so he's calling her. He's saying, wake up, wake up, arise. I want you to come with me. I want you to come with me. He's telling her, he says, I need you. I need you. I need you to come deeper with me. Come deeper with me. The word says that my tears and my heaviness are more than I can bear. I need you. And she says, well, I've already put off all these other rags. I'm clean now. What else do you want? And so then she wakes up, and he's gone. He's moved. See, whenever we come into relationship with him, he says, follow me, right? He tells his disciples, follow me. So when we receive him, we have to follow him. We can't stay in one place because he doesn't stay in one place. He says, follow me. I want you to come deeper with me. Follow me. So we have to follow him. If not, it may seem that he is gone. He's not, but he's further 
because he wants us to follow him, to be close to him. Okay, so she, she wakes up and she's looking for him. She can't find him. And um, in chapter 5, verse 8, she says, she's looking, oh, sorry, before that, she says, where is he? And she says, I'm not going to stop looking for him until I find him. So she goes after him. She says, whatever it takes, I'm going to look for him, okay? So she goes and she goes, and it says that she goes through the cities. These are churches, if you will. She's looking for him. It says she, she come, encounters some overseers, and she is beaten. She's beaten, and she's bruised, and she's wounded, and she's, she's exposed, but she's looking for them, for him. And in chapter 5, verse 8, she's talking to brides-to-be, her friends. She's talking, and she says, make me this promise. If you find my beloved one, please tell him I endured all travails for him. I've been pierced through by love, and I will not be turned aside. And they're like, isn't there somebody else? Why him? Can't you find somebody else? No, she says, there is none like him, none like him. And she starts to tell them why. He is wonderful. He is everything to me. I will not stop until I find him. She needs him, and she realizes that. And these other, these other brides-to-be, her friends are like, well, we want to know him too. He's so wonderful. Where is he? We're going to help you find him. So they're looking for him too. They, he's so wonderful. And so when we love someone that much, we will stop at nothing, at nothing. We will not let anything come between us. We won't let anything separate us. This is what he's calling us back into. In Revelation, in, in the church of Ephesus, it says, he, the, Jesus is telling them, you've done all of these wonderful things, but you've lost your first love. You need to return to that. And that is ministering to Jesus. That is ministering to Jesus and saying, you are my first love before anything I can do for you. I want to love you. And he's calling us back to that. He wants to restore that. It is our greatest commandment. Given to Moses, and we hear about it again in the New Testament, the greatest commandment. In Mark 12, 29, it says, Jesus answered them, the most important of all the commandments is this. The Lord Yahweh, our God, is one. You are to love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with a passionate heart for the, from the depths of your soul, with your every thought and with all your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is this. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. You will never find a greater commandment than these. It's part of our calling. In James 2.8, it says, Your calling is to fulfill the royal law of love as given to us in this scripture. You must love and value your neighbor as you love and value yourself. For keeping this law is the noble way to live. So we're called to love him first. 
And from that place, we get so filled with his love that it just overflows. We can't stop talking about him. We can't stop telling others how wonderful he is. And we become transformed by his love. And then we can give that love to other people. We're loving just like he does, which is, is what happens in John at the, when they're together, him and his disciples, at the Last Supper, Jesus tells them, so now I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. So the commandment is the same, but it's a little bit different. He says that we are to love others, each other, the same way that he loves us. So there's a little bit of a different condition. We have to love each other how he loves us. That's how we're supposed to do that. It's really, really strong and powerful, and he wants us to understand that. That, um, that he is the example. He is our example of how we're to love one another. And um, because it's very important to him. And sometimes love isn't easy. Sometimes it's hard. Yeah, it, it can be very hard, but we're called to do that. We're called to fulfill that. And we can't do it without him. We can't do it from how we know that maybe somebody else has loved us or not loved us. But it's, it comes from the place of, okay, how does Jesus love me? That is what we have to have before we can love anybody else. We cannot do it without him. He is key. He is key. In Romans 12, 9, I'm giving you a lot of scripture today. <laughs> um, it says, let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another. And never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. So we're to tenderly love one another. Jesus' heart is very tender. He loves us tenderly. Right? His heart is not hard or calloused. It's very soft and tender. It can be hard, though, when we've been hurt or when somebody who's hurting hurts us. Because that happens. That happens a lot. And it's hard, and then it makes it really hard. But we're supposed to confess those things. James 5.16 says, confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another. And then pray for one another to be instantly healed. Tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. So we have to be real. We have to be real so that we can heal. And the Lord was reminding me of this story um, not a story, it was real life for me, but it'll be a story for you. <laughs> um, one of the last 
really good conversations I had with uh, one of my grandmas before she, before she passed. I was just spending time with her, just me and her. And um, she's like, how are things going? And I'm like, oh, good. And I'm like, well, you know what? This is really bothering me. And so I just kind of vomited on her. Um, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm having problems with this person. And I'm telling her about this person, how this person is, is just being so mean to me and has hurt me over and over and over and over. And I'm just hurt and I'm sick of it and I'm angry and now I'm bitter and, and I'm telling her all this stuff and she's just listening to me intently. She didn't say a word. And then I got done and I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna, she's going to give me sympathy She's going to love me. She's going to tell me, oh, yes, you poor baby. That's awful. She did not say that. She looked at me just with the most beautiful smile, and she said, Charla, you need to love that person. That person needs to be loved. And I'm like, what? Did you just hear what I said? All of these, like all of these things? Are you are you serious? And and I'm like, then I'm kind of like mad, like even more mad. I'm like, she did not hear anything I said. What in the world? And so I walked away very confused. And um, but Jesus would not let that go. <laughs> He was still on my heart, like, hey, remember that, remember that conversation? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't, mm -mm, nope. And again, hey, let's talk about that. I'm like, okay, okay, let's talk about it. That was revelation for me. That was very impactful for me because I, I finally came to a place where I said, okay, Jesus, I want to see what you see. Because you are seeing something that I'm not, and you know something that I don't know. And so he began to show me all the ways that this person had been horribly hurt. And didn't really know how to love. And so I had a lot to work through. But I worked through that with him, and I said, I don't, I don't want to feel these things. I, I don't want to feel this hurt. I don't want to feel angry. I don't want any of those things. Here, take it away from me. Show me. Teach me. Teach me how to see others how you do. And I began to pray that. I'm like, Lord, show me how you see other people. Show me what you see in them. I want to know. I want to know your heart. But we have to be prepared for that, too, when we want to know his heart. Because he does see things that we don't see. And we have to submit to those things when we see them. We have to submit. We, we have to choose to submit to those things. Thank you, Jesus. So if we have a hurting member in our body, just like we would our natural body, if, if my foot is broken, I'm going to take care of it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mend it. I'm going to take it easy. 
I'm going to go to physical therapy. I'm going to take care of it. I'm not going to hurt it even worse. I'm going to take care of it and make sure it gets back to full function, that I can put weight on it, that then I can walk on it, and then I can run on it. Yes? That's what we're to do with each other. When we have someone in our body that is hurting, we have to tend to that person. We have to do that because we're not whole and complete without it. Then we're gimpy. If we're not taking care of that, we're walking, we're gimpy. We're pulling, we're pulling. We can't do that. We need each other. We need each other. Myself, by myself, am not the bride of Christ. All of us are the bride of Christ, together, whole. And when he comes back, she's going to be whole. She's going to be whole and complete and perfect. And then when he restores us, we have responsibility to restore other people. So, um, yes, we have a responsibility to that. So the word says um, in 2 Corinthians 5.18, God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words... It was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. Reconcile means to restore. In the Greek, it means atonement and restoration to divine favor. This is our ministry. This is what he's given to us to do. That we, we see someone hurting and, and, we, and we grab them by the hand and we say, hey, I know you're hurting. I know that you're hurting. But here's Jesus. Here he is. He can heal you. He can restore you. We don't leave them there. We don't leave them there. And we don't, and we don't say, well, they're just... I mean, they've just lost it. They're just crazy. Have you seen her kids? Do you know what they're doing? We don't do that. He's calling us up. He's calling us up. This is deeper into his love. This is where we don't get offended. We don't get offended that we're, we're looking at somebody else. This is where we're patient and we're kind. We're forgiving and we release mercy. So that we can have mercy, because we need mercy, right? Yeah. This is where 1 Corinthians 13 comes into play. We love. We love. Because when we're not loving someone else, it hurts him. It makes his heart grieve. That's what makes his heart grieve. Because he created all of us, you and me. And so when I'm releasing something out of my mouth that isn't good about somebody else, that hurts him. And if I know how he feels and how he loves me and how he loves that person, I won't do that because I don't want to hurt him. 
I'll be aware of that. He's given us the great commission, but we are to do it with great compassion. Compassion is love, and it's strong. The Greek word for compassion means to have the bowels yearn. It's deep. Jesus also says that we're to love our enemies. That's hard. That's really hard. But he tells us that in Luke 6, 27 and 28. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do something wonderful for them in return for their hatred. When someone curses you, bless that person in return. And when others mistreat and harass you, accept it as your mission to pray for them. On down in 32, it says, are you really showing true love by loving only those who love you? Even those who don't know God will do that. But we can't do that if we don't have his love. And if we don't have compassion, we aren't able to do that. When I was in Thailand um, a few years ago for a mission trip, I was, um, it was the first day, and I'm seeing these children, and I'm hearing the stories of what happens and um, the ministry. The ministry, they, they rescue children out of trafficking. And my heart's breaking for these kids. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, even babies, Lord, please. And I'm praying. And he said, I want you to pray for the buyers and the sellers. And I'm like, what? I don't think I heard you. What did you say? And I heard it again. And he said, they're lost. They don't know me, but I want them to know me because I created them too, and I love them too. They just don't know me, and they're lost. Will you pray for them? Will you pray for them to know me? Will you pray for them to know my love, to encounter me in such a way that they are changed radically forever? And I was so broken I'm like, yes, Jesus, I will do that. I will pray. I will pray for them to know you, and I will pray for them to encounter you. That's what he's calling us to do. To say, hey, there's a better way. There's someone that loves you. We have the answer. We have the answer. It's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. But we have to be right here. We have to be soft and tender. We can't have a heart of stone. And our heart and our love can be restored. When we restore our love and our heart to the King, then we can see each other the way that he does and we can freely love one another the way that he's called us to. Does it mean saying hard things sometimes? Yes. 
We have to be real and we have to tell the truth, but we can do it in love because that's what he does. His word is hard to read sometimes, but it's truth and, it's, and he's given it to us because he loves us. That's why we have this word. It's because he loves us. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.